As concerned Christians continue to grapple with the fallout from the recent elections, big questions remain. Where do we go from here on the issue of abortion? How can we protect our freedoms and our parental rights at the state capitol? But in the midst of all that, there were also some huge wins for families that weren't reported in national media. We're going to talk about all this and more. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, welcome, everybody. You know, I think I can say for all of us that this has been a long processing period since the election. You know, I I almost think this show today needs to be like a talk therapy session (laughs) for all of us. There's a lot to just work through together with the losses, where we are at with abortion. However, there are also some very important, encouraging silver linings, some victories for families that really haven't been talked about in national media. So we're going to get into all that. And Victoria, I know that our listeners are really looking forward to picking your brain, having a chance to just sit down with you and hear your perspective on all this. So let's just start out with kind of the headline with all of it. You know, all what was really at stake was control of the Virginia government. Yeah. The House and the Senate. Bring us up to speed. Where are we at with that now that the dust has settled a little bit? Yeah, so, I mean, this was the big thing. This is what both sides were trying to achieve. And so we're sort of starting on the, the down topic, which is that conservatives were not able to gain control of the Senate. But more than that, we were actually we actually lost the control of the House. So the Senate will now be 2119 as far as party affiliation, more Democrats than Republicans. And the House looks like it'll be about 5149. So again, we're, we're, we knew it was going to be razor thin, right? This was yeah. We've been saying that for a long time. This was control of both chambers was going to be narrow by whichever party won. Um, and so that did turn out to be the case. I am glad we knew election night. We weren't sure if we were gonna this thing was going to drag on and we were going to be yeah. sitting in suspense. So at least we're not here sitting in suspense. Maybe that's uh, maybe I'd rather be sitting in suspense if there was a chance conservatives could still control the House. But I do want to mention, because it does feel like a mostly a loss for the conservatives because we lost the house we did gain a seat in the senate yeah. and people kind of have lost track of that um we have to remember redistricting played a major factor in how all of this played out everybody was running in new districts incumbents didn't even have all of the same people that had voted for them in the past in their districts in most cases so it was kind of a, a, a very much a fresh start in a lot of ways and so it is great because the senate used to be 2218 liberals and remember we have a tie break our lieutenant governor is conservative so should anything ever get to that point you know and having one closer to the tie is helpful occasionally that does come into play so yeah um i'd call that at least better than we were last year <laughs> well for those people that don't follow this as closely as we do let's just real quick review where we were at before so we had the executive branch uh we have a, yes. a wonderful governor lieutenant governor attorney general and that does all, not change yeah. so i mean when we feel all is lost in some ways it is not lost we actually have great leadership at the top and remember every bill that goes to the chamber in order to become law goes to the governor so he, we still have a conservative backstop for whatever liberal ideas are going to unfortunately get through the house get through the senate now what we were trying to shoot for and praying for yes was to break this Senate blockade committee where they were blocking a whole bunch of good pro-life and parental rights bills. Now, 
I just want to point out the the bar was pretty high for trying to do that yes. because you had to you people would have had to win multiple races, right? Yeah. yeah, this was a this was a difficult thing to do. No one thought this would be easy that conservatives could take this over. There were a couple key districts it was going to come down to, and truly one of the races in the Senate was, you know, a couple thousand votes. Uh, very close and just it's a bummer that it didn't come out uh, a little tighter. We may have learned that we focused in a, as a, and I say we, sort of, I would say we may have learned that the Republicans in some ways focused a lot, a lot, for example, in Siobhan Donovan's district, which is um, Henrico area. And if maybe if they had focused more in a candidate, Bill Wolf, that was running in Prince William, maybe they would have come up stronger. So they may have discovered that, oh, Henrico is more blue than we ever thought. Yeah. Maybe maybe wasn't worth putting so much in there. But nevertheless, you know, you can always tell these things after the fact. It's yeah. hard to it's hard to, you know, gameplay them in advance. Well, that kind of leads into my next question is what does this tell us about where our state's at? The fact that we have these razor thin majorities, you know, that it that it was a struggle like it was. What's your takeaway from where Virginia is at culturally? I think or we politi- are even politically too. Yeah, I mean we're narrowly, narrowly divided, both within the parties. You know that we have kind of an almost even split among the parties, but also on the issues. Every issue we're narrowly divided, and I do think it matters which issues we spend time talking about. So we'll spend a little bit of time digesting, you know, what were the themes of the election. But it does matter, sort of, what is the electorate focused on, and which party do they trust on those issues, and so. That's just a reality, and I think that's not going to change overnight. We're not going to see Virginia all of a sudden be permanently red or permanently blue. It's really going to depend on who are our candidates, how strong are the conservatives, how well do they pitch a vision for what we believe in, and you know how much can they kind of get people to come around that vision. Um, and it's going to depend again on sort of what are the themes, what you know, what's the electorate thinking about. Yeah. When you see that narrowness, though, what do you think is really the the tension? I mean, what? You know, if you, if you're going to frame it this versus that, that's pulling people or keeping them at that narrow margin, if that makes sense. What? Well, Virginia has never been an electorate that likes extremes on either side. We have okay. I, we used to be a, a, a regular ticket splitting state, meaning okay. we would pick a Republican for governor and a Democrat for lieutenant governor, or um, we'd have Democrats at the top for governor, and we'd have you know same ballot people yeah. would pick a Republican attorney general. So we're not ticket splitting as much, but we're split as a people. And it is over things like abortion. Um, that is a, a huge issue that is just deeply dividing Which we're the populace. Um, and, and I think there is an urban, suburban, rural issue going on here, right? Because we see the urban centers are the ones that go for liberal Democrats. And because they're so populous, okay. they tend to outvote sort of the rural areas. That's, that, that's, that's a good a, point. That's an issue when we get to statewide elections more yeah. than it is when we're talking about individual districts. But it did matter how every district was carved, right? So if your, uh, if your district is carved out where it's mostly urban, you're probably going to be very difficult for a conservative to win. But if your district has a little bit of urban and a lot of suburban, you might... So it, these lines did really matter. And maybe people just don't trust either party so you see oh, more of that. that wrestling you know yes. neither party has people's complete trust well so that's, and we saw the generic ballot it was almost exactly divided 50 50. i mean yeah. you know just generically do you, you know are you more republican or more democrat and and i think to your point um when you ask voters which party do they trust it depends on the issue they trust yeah. the, and in the exit polling that i saw well actually no the pre-polling right before the election i saw that they generally trusted republicans more on crime the economy and parents but they trusted Democrats more on the abortion issue. And so 
That's yeah. just a reality. That's what, it, that's what they were saying. Well, before we talk more about the abortion issue, um, I did just want to ask you, where does this leave us with the pro-life bills, the parental rights bills, save go- girls sports kind of stuff? Um, where does this leave us with the bills that we would advocate for in the yeah. state capitol? So on the life issue, it's going to be very tough sledding to advance anything. They've been crystal clear they're not going to allow even common sense things that I still believe the majority of Virginians agree with, like informed consent and making sure that women have all the information or making sure there's basic parameters around the industry of abortion. I still think those are things that the average person can get behind, but I don't think the party and the Democrat control is going to allow that to go anywhere out of subcommittee. So we've got a a really tough road there. We've got to pray they don't go after our parental consent. That's the one piece of abortion law that's still in place where we say, look, if there's a teen and they're struggling with an abortion, the parent ought to be involved to help guide that decision. So we got to kind of hang on to what we do have. And of course, we're going to have to block what is very likely coming, which is their effort to put it into our constitution that we have this unfettered right to abortion. That's a multi-year mm. process. We, we, we need to dive into that deeply in a future podcast. Mm-hmm. But I just want to say that we're going to be on the defensive quite a bit on life. Mm-hmm. But on other issues, I do want to mention Save Girls Sports, for example. That poll is so high in Virginia. I mean, we're talking like 70% of people or something really agree that girls should only compete against girls. You'd like to believe that we could make some inroads in both parties there because there are tons of Democrats mm-hmm. that absolutely believe in that. So a fairness issue. We at, need at them least. to speak yeah. up to their own legislators and say, look, this is not a party issue. This is a, a fairness mm-hmm. issue. All right. Well, I just want to encourage people. This does not mean that life, family, freedom values are out of the game. What, what this means in a lot of ways that Victoria was explaining to our staff was that we now have more of a defensive strategy that we're, we are going to be called upon to kind of a rescue mission and to um, really play defensive to block bad things, things from getting worse, right? I mean, is that a fair statement? Yeah, we lived through two years that was top to bottom, all the way up to the governor, down to the House, liberal. And we were able to stop some really concerning things. I mean, and I think some of those things will be back, and we better be yeah. back to stop stop them. And we don't want to assume that our governor is going to veto everything. We're going to have to be there to be that strong voice of encouragement to say, stand strong. You have a different perspective. Virginians support your perspective. Go ahead and veto this bill when it gets to his desk. Yeah, and I, I feel like blocking the bad stuff is, in some ways, just oh. as or more important <laughs> with what we're doing. Absolutely. I mean, we saw some of the craziest ideas come yeah. forward, things that would really harm families. And so, yeah, I think defense cannot be underrated. Like the Guzman, if I'm saying her yeah. name right. Yes. Um, she had a bill that basically would have criminalized parents who simply didn't affirm their child's gender. I fully expect something like that to be back. They also had this bill that sort of tried to encourage um I I would just say it was encouraging LGBT kids to kind of run away from their family because it was going to provide all these benefits. If they went and slept on their best friend's couch instead of in their parents' home, the government was going to step in and support them. Well, I got to tell you, parents are so needed in that moment. The last thing we should be doing is incentivizing kids to step out of their families because they're gender confused. And so there's a lot of bad stuff we blocked, and we're ready to do it again. Yeah, we are not going to give up being that voice for families because there really isn't one there, and we're making sure that families and your voices are represented. But that, you know, so talking about kind of blocking the bad stuff, Leads me into talking about the good news. Yeah. I, I want to share some silver linings that I really don't think in, have gotten enough attention. And I hope this will encourage our listeners. Of course, 
the big thing I want to talk about right now is this very dramatic win in defeating a casino in the Richmond area, not once, but twice. I mean, I really think this is unheard of. It is a big deal. It is incredibly hard for any locality to push back when the casino comes to town and they say, hey, we're going to provide all these jobs and we're going to provide this glitzy, you know, entertainment facility and a park. And we're going to I mean, the promises made to the voters were really strong. And the voters said, no, thanks. We don't trust you. Get out of here. And they did it with over 60 percent. 62 percent said no. And what's to your point, this is the second time this has happened. We had to have this fight two years ago. And in two years ago, it was so close. I mean, we won, yeah. but it was razor thin. Like two percentage points. I mean, it was so close. Yeah. And this time, 62% yeah. of the public said, I, see you later, don't come back, we're not interested. And that's a huge deal, and especially when you look at the spending, right? Because I hate to say it, but um, the reality is that money is a very deep factor in these campaigns because no matter the rightness or wrongness of an issue, you have to be able to get your message to the people and you have to counter the lies that are coming from the other side. So they had $10 million worth of lies coming into the people of Richmond. Um, you know, we led our side against the casino and I, I hate to admit it, we only had a couple hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> I'm thrilled to say that a couple hundred thousand dollars can go a long way, but it really was a David and Goliath situation where it didn't take a lot of money. It took a lot of strategy and enough money to say, no, this is corruption coming to our city. They bring sex they bring crime. Let's not do this. And this time, our message got through loud and clear because it was at least a 20 percentage point it's spread amazing. that we won by. Yes. Victoria, I don't think I've ever heard of a large urban city, you know, pre probably pretty much all blue, twice defeating a casino like this. Have you ever heard of any? I any have other? not. Every once in a while, a casino goes down, but it is so rare, and doing it twice is almost unbelievable. And I will say this, for all of the folks who don't live in Richmond, this is our capital city. There are so many great things going on here. The idea that we would want to bring this into sort of what represents Virginia, our capital, is just so disturbing. And so I think people kind of got around this vision of we can create jobs, we can we can bring in entertainment yeah. centers, but we don't have to bring in a casino. So now it's really looking to city leadership to say, what yes. are we going, you know, stop saying this was the only opportunity we had to have more jobs in the south side of Richmond. Give us something else. Bring in industry. Yeah. So I, I think they heard our message that this was going to hurt families more than help them. It, it was going to exploit the already underprivileged and like you said, why can't we build up mom and pop shops? That got through. So that is exciting. Yeah. Um, I just want to mention that it's interesting. Our mayor, Mayor LeVar Stoney, yeah. I mean, his name was, was, I would say, synonymous with the casino movement. He was, he was out there, one of the primary proponents of this whole thing. He put his whole heart and soul in this. And, you know, it was interesting his comments after it went down in flames again. Let's just listen to that real quick. There is not a mayor in America that would not push for more jobs for their people, more revenue for their city, and more care for their children. And that's what the opportunity that the Grand Resort and Casino presented for us here in Richmond. The voters said no. And the sun will rise tomorrow. Well, at least 
it looks like he got the message. The voters clearly said no. Now he said, well, the sun will rise tomorrow. And for him, that looks like a governor's <laughs> run, right? Yeah, I mean, I think this is all about his own political career more than anything, which it took a big hit when you lost the casino because, as you point out, he was one of the biggest advocates. City officials, and I told this to the media, they should be embarrassed they didn't listen to the people the first time. I mean, and then they come out and trumpet this the second time as if it's somehow a different product and it should be passed. And so LeVar Stoney really should be a bit embarrassed about the entire situation. And it's amazing to me that his pivot, so he comes off, he loses the casino, and the next day it's like, hey, but don't worry, I'm going to be running for governor. It's it's embarrassing. But, um, right. you know, I, I'm not disappointed that they'll have an aggressive primary for their governor race. That's always helpful to flesh out the issues. What do they really stand for? Watch it. Watch yeah. primaries for that. Don't just watch conservative primaries. Watch the other side's primaries because you learn what they really stand for. And he, he knows he'll be going up against um, Abigail Spamberger for one. And okay. there's others who are talking about it. So this will be interesting. All right. And I, am I allowed to talk about that? Hopefully we will have Lieutenant Governor Sears and our Attorney General possibly put Yeah, we don't, we don't know who's going to be jumping in on the other side. But certainly um, we've got some good candidates. Let's, let's say that. We've got folks <laughs> we that I think would be fantastic. Um, All right. So running for our governor spot. Well, let's move on to the other silver lining here. And that is there was impact with this parental rights message. This feeling, this passion that the family unit is worth protecting. Tell us about that. Well, I think the biggest race that we see that in is the is the one that we've highlighted here before, Monty Mason. Um, you know, here we had a, a sitting legislator who had trash talked parental rights and he had done garbage. it on a, Call yeah, it garbage. garbage. I mean he had done it on a hot mic. And I was thrilled that Danny Diggs did bring that out, that that did show up in a commercial. This was his opponent. And I think it's important that we send those legislators home, that we say, look, those of you that are going to stand and make it sound like parental rights isn't important, we aren't interested in you serving us anymore. And that's what that locality did. And so it was a tight race, as we expected it to be, but an incumbent was taken out. And I think the predominant uh, flaw that he had was talking about parents in a negative manner. Okay, so this means conservative Yorktown Sheriff Danny Diggs yep. is headed to the Senate, yes. right? Yes. Yeah, so, so we're excited. New voice. Yeah. All right, another victory that I think speaks to people resonating with the importance of protecting family is that Susanna Gibson did not win out. Tell yes. us your thoughts on that. Yes, of course, we've hit that issue here before. But again, this was the candidate that engaged in online sex acts. And was we were sort of stunned to discover this. And it became uh, known in the campaign. And she did it for money. And it was a whole thing. And so um, it really would have been so discouraging if, despite that, she somehow got put in mm -hmm. office. Um, you know, her opponent, David Owens, ran a great campaign, talked about, you know, his conservative values. But I, I really think that Henrico is a is has become a pretty blue area and this is where this race was and mm -hmm. so in that area they did elect a lot of liberals to the board of supervisors they did elect another delegate right next door that was a, a liberal democrat they elected a senator that's liberal so David Owens was running a tough in a tough area and it's possible that liberals could have said well we're just checking the d box no matter who it is mm -hmm. and so we were concerned and I'm just glad that there is something that is unfit for office, yeah. that they did say, okay, this is the line. She is not who we want representing us. Yeah, that was one of the few bright spots in that area. And <laughs> About the only. <laughs> you make a good point because most people are going to check that box down the party line. And the fact that they stopped there yes. says it was a deep concern. Yes. So that's a, that's a silver lining. A silver I think. lining. All right. Well, there's more good news. There was a real parental rights reckoning in Loudoun County. Now, people will remember that this became, in a lot of ways, the epicenter for the parental rights battles in our state. 
I mean, you had the school board covering up things like sexual assaults against female students. And then more recently, we've got this news that they were covering up or at least dragging their feet for something like 20 days when it comes to reporting students having drug overdoses. I mean, this was serious stuff. Students had to be resuscitated, CPR. So it's ridiculous that you would wait, you know, around 20 days to notify, to let people know about this, let parents know. And the attorney general is now taking action. So it's no surprise parents would speak up in that county, let their let their passion be known and during election. Yeah, I think they were super excited. They were able to actually oust their Commonwealth attorney, Buddha Bijraj. And I mean, this is a big deal because this was a person who was a George Soros backed, you know, sort of like that was their, you know, the mega donor. And we, we talk about those prosecutors. Yeah. Um, and you know, they this person lost to Bob Anderson, who's a Republican. And again, Loudoun County, not a bastion of Republicanism these days. And so big deal. And I think it's worth noting that um, our legal group, the Founding Freedoms Law Center, also has had sort of has gone toe to toe with this Commonwealth attorney that is no longer in that office. And it's because she decided to personally prosecute John Tiggis. If you remember, John Tiggis was one of the parents that ended up in that school board meeting um, and it just basically got got, you know, told that he can't be there anymore and got arrested for trespassing and became a client of the Founding Freedoms Law Center. And so this kind of attorney kind of like jumped in personally to this case, which mm-hmm. is not typical on something that small of a charge. And so uh, we were thrilled that we did get a not guilty verdict yeah. on that. Um, but it's a big deal. And no longer will that person be putting a target on the back of our parents. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, it's also encouraging that Loudoun County now has an entirely new school board. So I, I think people, they, they kind of read the, the writing on the wall and, you know, only two incumbents actually dared to run and they didn't win. We had three conservatives win. Yeah, it's exciting. I think, I think the idea that they can kind of get a fresh start and try all over again and hopefully these parents can make their voices heard about these policies. But that wasn't the only place that that happened. I mean, we had a reckoning in Goochland and that's another very exciting story near and dear to our heart because some of you remember us talking about Angela Allen, who was a school board member who who dared to, if you remember, just simply put on her Facebook page, hey, I found out the bathroom policy allows people that are not biologically one gender to walk into a bathroom that isn't suited for them. And she just literally put that on her Facebook and, of course, got censured. We've talked about this quite a bit on this. But we've kind of, you know, we picked up her story in our law center and kind of went after those other four board members Mm -hmm. saying, no, she was totally appropriate. We need to stand by these conservatives that are telling parents, well, it looks like we got a wonderful outcome in the election where she was elected. (laughs) And, um, you know, the four that were against her, two of them didn't rerun. Uh But then the two that did got taken out. (laughs) Awesome. I mean, because you have to understand these four board members, her colleagues basically doxed and shamed her, yes. essentially. Yes. And none of them are on the board now. So. Yeah. And she retained her seat with like nearly 60%. Yes. So it's a big deal. Well, I do think that sends a loud and clear message on the parental rights front. So that is an issue that we need to be encouraged, still has very powerful traction. And I'll just mention one other win. We can't go into all of them. We're still getting news on school board wins. Um, But I'll just mention that someone we love and hold dear to our hearts, a former Family Foundation board member, Sharon Griffin, won her school board race in Augusta. Yeah, and again, parents' rights has been hot in that town, right yeah. next door in Rockingham, where they took over the school board there with conservatives, also a hot issue. I mean, this issue fueled wins for people who stood up for parents. Yeah. Well, I think 
you know, we, we know that issue was powerful. It still had traction. But with all this good news, I, I feel like p- people might be wondering right about now in our conversation, when we have all that wonderful, uh, that power demonstrated, people caring about family, um, the, the biblically centered values, you know, coming out to, to put down the casino, why do we still have these huge losses you know, where we couldn't take control of the House and Senate. Why, how can those parallel universes exist? What's going on here? Did abortion play into that part of it? Yeah, I mean, again, as I mentioned, we're narrowly divided and it matters what the electorate is focused on. And so in these school board races, it really was the parents' issues. Unfortunately, that was not the number one issue in a lot of the races that were at the House and Senate. And so people were thinking about other issues. And we have to be honest that abortion was one of the top issues on the minds of voters. And because of the unbelievable amount of money spent lying about candidates on abortion, um, voters obviously chose a majority of pro-abortion candidates. And we, we got to look at this. So pro-abortion Democrats and Planned Parenthood together spent about $70 million convincing Virginians that legal unrestricted abortion is not only necessary, but it is somehow a good. It is it is where how they should vote, that this needs to be their number one issue, and that anybody that has any view that is not total unrestricted abortion is somehow um, you know, just absolutely has to be taken out. And I, I just want to mention real quick, they even pulled in Nancy Pelosi with Louise Lucas doing this ad that actually talked about jailing women. Yeah, oh, yes. And they painted that extreme picture. Yes, and I, I mean, Republicans spend about $50 million in their commercials and other things trying to counter that with, and basically what they chose to do is counter it with basically a modest proposal to restrict abortion at the 15-week mark. So that's kind of how they countered, and that is the moment that a child feels pain. So it's a significant, you know, sort of thing it just depends how you talk about it and again uh, how much money was spent trying to push that message through and i think that they did that because they they really did and we had polling suggesting that that is where sort of a consensus could be reached among the people of virginia that said i think we have to be honest that strategy failed i mean i don't think there'd be well, any way to say it other than that and it wasn't just in virginia that we saw this struggle i do have to mention our Colleagues in Ohio had just a heartbreaking defeat on the abortion issue. I'm sure people will likely have heard this devastating news that by a pretty wide margin, voters there enshrined, decided to enshrine abortion, basically unlimited abortion in their state constitution. And they did so in a way that it looks like is going to wipe out even parental consent, parents being able to protect young kids from having abortions. Yes, it was a very expansive ballot initiative, and this is a state that had passed a heartbeat law, so it's a state that was in a good pro-life position, and so we do grieve for our friends in Ohio that put their heart and soul into trying to deliver the right message to um, the people of their state, and again, they were outspent dramatically, and um, you know, people are, are able to believe things that just aren't the case. You know, and I feel like sometimes the most effective lies are built on just a little bit of truth and then a lie around it. And you saw them using that. Well, you know, conservatives want to limit or ban abortion, but then they put a lie around it. They want to jail women. Oh, you know, they, they want, talked, they confused. Yeah. The miscarriage issue came up again in the Ohio ballot. You know, you know what's going to happen when there's an ectopic or a miscarriage. I mean, they, they, they put in dribbles of things that are just yeah. not 
at play. And that's enough for women who have had a miscarriage or, mm -hmm. you know, to kind of get confused and kind of misunderstand the point of the, the ballot initiative and go, okay, well, maybe this is too far. If we don't put this initiative in, they're going to go too far. And that's just not the case. So there was real, you know, outspending going on, real deception that apparently people fell for. But at the same time, we are having to do some soul searching in the pro-life movement um, because there were still way too wide of margins, you know, like what happened in Ohio and just it appears there was traction with the lies. There was traction. People weren't just going with the idea that the that this is a human baby in the womb and I just want to protect it. Um, so, Victoria, I'm just I've been of course, we all have been probably trying to digest this, listening to different perspectives. And I want to share with you a perspective I've heard that I've been struggling with and really just talk to you about what this means. How are you processing? Um, so I did listen to some commentary. I'll give a shout out to an excellent podcast um, our, our guys in Ohio did. And and they were talking about this. Um, you know, are, are we fighting the wrong fight? I don't know that they would put it like that, but that's kind of how I boil it down. Are, have we been fighting the wrong fight? In other words, we've been fighting to convince people this whole time about the sanctity of human life, starting in the womb, you know, to the grave, the sanctity of human life. Um, but... Are we missing the boat in the sense that there's, there's a darker underbelly here in our culture that a lot of people actually agree that it is a human life. The baby in the womb is a human life. And to just to be really dark and frank here, maybe a lot of people are willing to kill that baby, that human life for the sake of their personal happy for for the sake of not limiting human happiness. In other words, individual autonomy is now the highest highest value in our culture. I, I think that's right. Um, I think there is a reality that says that we have created a reckless sexual culture. So people are not faithful. They're not getting married. They're, and, and the reality is that abortion is an insurance policy. And that is deeply disturbing. So it's kind of this idea of no matter what I think about it, I need that insurance policy against bad behavior. And um, we've got we've to get deeper. We've got to get more fundamental about um, why this culture is hanging on to abortion when they probably know, yes, it's death. And I don't know exactly how you take on a culture that has decided out in the open that our personal sh selfishness, happiness is the highest value above basic ethics, protecting human life. What do we do with that? You know, our friend Joseph Backholm um, did a very interesting commentary for, I believe it was World Magazine, talking, wrestling with this. And I'm just going to read a portion of it, get you to respond to it. He says, thanks to Dr. Freud, the sexual revolution has convinced Americans it is impossible to be happy if you're not having sex. Because happiness, from their perspective, comes with a risk of pregnancy. Abortion serves the same purpose as a fire extinguisher. You hope you never need to use it, but, quote, break glass in case of emergency. So, Victoria, those are pretty hard words, but they are thought-provoking. I don't think there's any doubt he's hit the nail on the head. And it's something that it, it seemed, I mean, if you think about the, the abortion movement, it seemed a lot easier, I don't know if that's the right word, to fight the idea this is a human life, you can't take this human life, than it was to fight this gigantic sexual revolution culture that's been created from the 60s. That seemed like, let's, let's, but really we're hitting the tail end of the issue. This is, this is after the bigger issue, which is this sexual culture and this idea that 
that adult happiness is the most important thing. Katie Faust, who's just a wonderful voice on, on child rights, talks about until we recenter our entire culture on the rights of a child, not the rights of adults to be happy, everything is going to be off balance. So this idea is um, we're making decisions about adult happiness that is harming children, and that goes into everything from divorce to, I mean, you can talk about all the issues that come out from that, but of course, the biggest one is the child that's created that doesn't even get to enter this world because they were created out of adult decisions for happiness that, that didn't take into account a child's well-being. A child is going to be created out of this, and I need to bring them into this world. Can you have a culture that puts children first without a Judeo-Christian ethic? This is a great question because it was Christians that brought this to the entire Western Hemisphere. It is, it is the Christian faith that, I mean, it was Christians that were saving babies from the, you know, you go back all the way through history. Mm -hmm. it, it is that we understand that this is a unique, that, that we have the, the sign and seal and stamp of God. We're created in his image that there is, um, there is something so beautiful and wonderful about every single human being. We brought, Christians brought that into mm -hmm. the common ethos of culture. And unfortunately, as we've moved away from Christianity, we're a post-Christian culture now, we've also moved away from that. And I think we do have to get back to the fundamentals. We gotta go back to saying, families are great, children are a blessing. We gotta get people to believe that rather than, oh, but I, if I don't even have kids in the first place, I can travel and I can, I mean, yeah. we're not even replenishing our population. I mean, we're, we're struggling with population numbers in the Western hemisphere yeah. now because this idea of adult happiness has taken over. So ultimately this does get back again to heart change in the culture and that's only gonna happen with the involvement of the church. Yes. Christians sharing the gospel, going one by one to their neighbors and friends and being bold, not stopping to speak up. But I want to encourage people that we do not stop speaking up according to the vicissitudes of culture. We are motivated by eternal principles. Victoria, I do think of William Wilberforce and fighting slavery. You know, I'm sure there were people in his day that understood slaves were human beings but they were willing to ignore that for their personal individual happiness and their profit. But he still prevailed in that with persistence. And we are not going to stop our persevering, speaking the truth on this issue. No, and he was willing to be in it for the long haul. And I think people need to understand these fights are not sprints, they're marathons. They are not quick. They are a lifetime of work. And those that work to overturn Roe know the lifetime that they put into getting the first step but that was just the first step. And it may take a lifetime of work to reverse this culture's view of children and, and family and the blessings that, that come with all of that and that it's a human life and that that life is vulnerable in the womb and deserves our protection. All right, well, tell us about the next opportunity. Yes for people to not give up and come out and visually represent that viewpoint. Yeah, I think more than ever, this year is gonna be the year to show up to the Virginia March for Life. I, it is, it's uh, February 21st. People should already be putting that on their calendar. Um, I think we need to be louder about this issue. We need to be more willing to stand, more willing to remind people that this issue is important. It's going to stay important in the minds of voters. It's going to stay important in the legislature. We don't know what they're going to try to do. We've already talked about yeah. some of the bills they may try to bring that would actually take us even further away from a culture of life. And so we're really looking forward to having that event. So put it on your calendar, plan on your church coming, bring your friends. Yeah. I mean, we're giving you lots of warning. So we're like three months out. There's plenty of time to sort of block that off and say this year, I'm going to do this. February 21st. Yes. All right. I want to give one other shout out as we wrap up here. And that is to our fabulous Family Foundation Action Team. We cannot do this podcast without just really talking about just the amazing work they did. And 
they worked persistently, perseveringly, rain and shine against great odds. And we wouldn't even have the victories we had, whether right. the casino, the pro, some of the parental rights wins, without their hard work. And just to kind of summarize in a very big picture way, they made around half a million contacts, voter contacts, and that's through door knocking, phone bankings, or something I'm leaving out yeah, here. Yeah, texting, texting, texting. We send messages to people. Yeah, so I did want to give Jesse, who kind of wears multiple hats with helping us with our podcast, but she also ha plays a huge role in our action team. And Jesse, I want to hear your perspective coming out of this election with all that work you did. Uh, yeah, thanks, Candy. So you guys have touched on a lot of some of our observations that we've been talking about as a team. But I think one of the big things for our viewers to keep in mind is um, that at the beginning of this election, really early on, um, Bruce, the executive director of Family Foundation Action, and I sat down and we looked at all the districts that this was going to come down to. And so we were able to invest resources in a lot of these districts that were really close. Um, and a lot of those districts that we did win uh, were ones that um, Family Foundation Action was heavily involved in. So uh, you guys talked about David Owen in House District 57. That was one that we were on the ground in since uh, the beginning of July. We had lots of canvassers out there. Uh, we had lots of volunteers out there. We sent lots of text to that district, knocked on a lot of doors um, to drive out conservative voters in those places. And, and we really see kind of the fruit of that. Uh, we also worked in um, Senate District 27, Tara Durant's district. That was one of the narrow wins yeah, that, was uh, a big that conservatives had. Yeah, and Tara, Tara has been uh, a fantastic delegate in the House of Delegates, and now she's moving to our state Senate. Um, in that district that we flipped, um, House Dis or, sorry, Senate District 24 with Monty Mason, that was a pickup, and that was another one that we were deeply involved in, as well as Senate District 17, which is Emily Brewer. Emily so, Brewer, a huge pro-life advocate. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, she spoke at the March for Life last year. I'm, I'm sure that she'll be involved again. And so, you know, it's great that we're seeing some of those conservative champions come back uh, and also that we were able to pick up a seat in the Senate. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of all of our volunteers, all the hard work that they put in, and I'm happy that we were able to really move the needle in some of these very, very tight districts. All right, Jesse, I'm going to ask you a real question here. How are you feel How are you emotionally coming out of this? Well, you know, we're pretty tired. We uh, we left it all on the mat uh, during this election season. So I think there's there's a lot to uh, think about and, and to um, strategize for for future elections. But I think there's also a, a lot to be hopeful for. And uh, that is that what we've seen from these districts where the conservative candidate did prevail uh, when conservatives and Christians come out and vote their values, we win. When they don't, um, we're we, probably we going to narrowly lose these districts. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think it's a it's a it's an important thing for us to keep in mind going forward. All right. Well, I know Victoria and I both want to say a personal thank you. Yes. Um, not only for that work, but what you help do with helping us with our podcast every week. So with that said, I just want to thank everybody for joining us Um Thank you for sharing the lows and the highs with us. And remember to share our podcast, share our playlist, the Speak Up Virginia playlist on YouTube. And if you're listening on audio only on Apple or Spotify, be sure and give us that five-star review if you love what you're hearing because that helps us reach more people. So God bless. And remember, we are stronger when we speak together.